0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: Well, I'm Connie from Argyle, Texas, and a small part in the big state of Texas. But don't ask me about geography, because I get confused about that. So... It is a privilege to in- introduce our ethnon speaker for tonight. I have known her for nine years, met her on my first regional retreat at Wichita, Kansas. And since then, we have done work with regional retreats, international conventions, and breakout sessions. <clears throat> Something about her that draws people in. She helps people in search for something, better use of their talent and opportunities. She finds happiness and true sobriety in spite of the chaos, crisis, and drama around her. She is courageous, confident, optimistic, honest, creative, patient, and she loved dogs. (laughs) She has an undeniable interest in service work. She brings light to any situation at hand, at work, family issues, establishing new ethnon group, and as a delegate once, and now she is a regional trustee. She is on hands, she is hands on deck to help and organize regional retreats, sharing and sharing person a program meetings, and she is an enthusiastic committee member of the St. Louis International Convention coming up in July 2018. Now, she is well thought of and looked up to in her own community where she lives and works. She has the knack to see people and know that a higher power is present in everyone and in every situation. Please help me welcome Pam M from Kansas and listen to her. She's a great friend and my mentor.
2: Okay, I hope I live up to that. (laughs) Good evening. My name is Pam, and I'm here to tell my Essendon story this evening. I walked into my first recovery meeting back in November of 1999, terrified, worried about if I was going to know anybody, what they were going to think of me, things like that. And over the years... As I've worked the program, I've come to the realization that I was born to be in and on. When I think back to my childhood and growing up, even as early as three years old, I can think of a situation where I failed and I took the shame and the guilt and felt worthless. I did have, at that time, a mother who tried to make me feel better about that situation. But over the years, um, for whatever reason in my family of origin, things continued to go downhill. And I truly believe my parents are adult children of addiction. Whether either of them are actual addicts, I can't think of anything specific, so... But I do know that all of my life, I took the guilt and shame for everything that went wrong in our family. I have five sisters. Twenty years later, my brother came along, so he feels more like a nephew to me than a brother. And two years ago, he passed away. So things seem to be a little bit better between my sisters and I now, but at the time we were growing up, we were constantly looking for the blessing from our parents. And we all never got it. Didn't realize that as a kid. I felt like the invisible child till I made mistakes. And then I was the one who was blamed and and made fun of. and, And it made me feel stupid. It made me feel ugly. It made me feel like I had no talents. And so I wore myself out trying to do everything my parents said they wanted us to do. I got the good grades. And I would bring home the report card and they'd go, oh, okay," and put it away. I got different academic awards, things like that. It just, I was waiting for them to go, we're so proud of you, things like that, and never got it. Felt like I could disappear. I could get killed in a car wreck. Somebody could kidnap me. I could just run away, and they wouldn't miss me. And they would probably be better off because they'd have more room (laughs) in their house. And so it it was a, a tough childhood. I never, never, ever considered killing myself, but I did daydream about what if I did get killed in a car wreck or in different ways. So I'd I'd like to say I was adopted, but I have a twin sister, so that ruins that theory. Um, She got more of the recognition from my father than I ever did whenever we would participate in sports and things like that together. And so eventually... I finally started saying, okay, I need to do some things that I want to do for me. I can't, obviously I can't measure up to, to my parents. And so I finally decided I'm going to go to college and I'm going to do it for me. Not what my parents are going to think. Because they were not real thrilled with my choice of a major. But they didn't tell me I couldn't do it. And I, I realize now my parents did the best job that they could do. And I can, I can love them and accept what they are able to give. But um, like most Anons, I hid my feelings well. I made everyone believe that I was just fine. I was, I was going to be successful. And I, I obviously made my sisters think that I felt like I was better than them and so through the years they've never been able to come to me for advice and I've never been able to go to them for anything because I was afraid they would use it against me and I had to be better than them because I felt like I was the worst one in the family and so maybe I did give them the impression that I was better than them it was not intentional but because of my feelings of inadequacy I did not have a good relationship with my sisters, but I remember when I was applying to graduate school, I went back to high school and I was talking with one of my old high school teachers because I needed a reference letter from her to get into graduate school and she looked at me and she goes, how did you come out so well adjusted out of all of your sisters? And inside I'm going, she thinks I'm well adjusted? If she only knew (laughs) what I was going through. And at that point, I was married. I was married to one of my qualifiers. I have several. And so I told her, I said, I don't know. (laughs) I really don't. But again, as I look back over my years, I can see times when I was working the program, even before I knew what the program was. And so... I guess maybe I am well-adjusted. And I know that I am more well-adjusted now because of this program and because of the 12 Steps. But I met my spouse in college. I was desperately looking for somebody to pay attention to me and to, to give me what my family couldn't give me. His family accepted me, treated me like I was part of the family. Um, there were lots of red flags, and I totally ignored every one of them. I actually participated in the pornography with him when we first got together, because I thought that's what a good wife is supposed to do. So he basically got the impression that I was accepting his unacceptable behaviors. And in a way I was, because I didn't feel strong enough to to say, this isn't right, I need to run the other way. So we got married, had two boys, and... I just continued to hide my feelings and to make things look good and try to be, for him, what I thought he wanted me to be. Because he was always really good at pointing out when I would do something wrong. And I would take it as, I'm a horrible wife. I have to do better. And so I spent a lot of years wearing myself out because I wasn't a stay-at-home mom. I I, have, I really admire stay-at-home moms because I couldn't do it. I had to get out and work. So then I'm working, trying to keep the house going, keep the boys going, and, and do everything that I thought he wanted me to do. And it wasn't working. But I didn't have the courage to say to him, I don't think what you're doing is... is appropriate behavior until I finally hit my bottom and we went to a counselor and the counselor affirmed in me that my feelings about his one of his other addictions was true and at the time the counselor asked him do you think that's normal and he's like yeah and then the counselor looked at me and said do you think that's normal and i went oh crap i've never told him this before but I did say, no, I don't think it's normal. And he looked at me and said, it's not. And that's how I found the 12 steps. I grew up going to church. Um, I believe there is a God, and, and but the God I understood as a child was punishing and judgmental. And, and any time I, I, I was wrong, I was getting punished. And so when I went to college, I gave up on going to church. I, I said... I'm doing this myself. I didn't know a God that would support me and help me accomplish the things I wanted to accomplish. And as I went through my life and had my first two boys and continued to fall into the darkness, when I finally hit my bottom and I walked into the doors of 12-step, I learned about a new God. God. And I had a hard time accepting that to begin with and I I didn't start relying on that, that higher power right away and I I would listen to other people and I, I went through step one, step two pretty easily when I found out that I didn't cause it, I didn't control it and I can't, I can't cure it. I felt some relief and I knew I was powerless. And so I had, it took about a year or so before I finally accepted that there was a higher power that was there to support me. And it it was a, a very, very dramatic experience for me when I had that spiritual awakening. I was, I'd gone to bed and was dreaming that I was at a party. And standing in front of me was this nice-looking gentleman, and he held out his hand and he said, Are you ready to have a relationship with me? And I put my hand in his, and my whole body just filled with a warmth, and I wasn't asleep anymore. And I awoke to this realization that that was my higher power, and he was asking me if I was ready and when I put my hand in his, that was my way of telling him I was ready. And I will never forget that dream. After that, I really started seeing changes in myself and in my program. I would go to meetings and and I would hear of people that their spouse had found recovery first and then they came into the, the group and others who they came into anon first and because of the changes they had made, their spouse got into recovery. I went to a lot of open meetings, listened to the attic side of the story and just kept wondering, is, is that my, my husband? My husband was an Aggieville graduate. Aggieville is the bar town outside of Kansas State University. He got kicked out of K-State. But his joke has always been he was an Aggieville graduate. One night at an open meeting, I learned about another Aggieville graduate. And it's like, oh, my goodness. I thought he was the only one that talked like that. So, but I I started working the steps harder. I started seeing where that higher power was supporting me. I started asking my higher power for help. And I gained more confidence and I started doing things that I had never done before because I just felt worthless. I always doubted my ability in my job, but I can now say, I am good at what I do. And I like to sing. I like music. I'm. I am nowhere near being a superstar at all. I sing what I hear, so if somebody beside me goes flat, I'm going to go flat right with them. But I rejoin the choir at church. I join the praise band at church, and I stand in front of a microphone and sing. And nobody tells me to stop. (laughs) I can look at my sisters, and I can hear them still putting each other down, And I've come to the realization that none of us was the favorite. And when I first came into recovery, I wanted to lock us all in the room and say, guys, listen to each other. None of us was the favorite. Well, it wasn't until after my brother passed away that I think everybody started realizing just how dysfunctional we've been. And when we get together for family gatherings, there's a lot less drama than there ever was before and I don't have to let my sisters bring me down anymore and they don't try but they we still don't share a lot of things together i think we're all still a little gun shy and things like that so it's kind of crazy but i had to i moved 45 minutes away from my family so i can still go to family gatherings but I don't have to live with the daily drama. On the way down here, they were texting my, my father's back in the hospital again, and they're texting back and forth. Well, what's going on? What are they saying here? What are they saying there? And I'm looking at these things going, I ought to chime in so they know I'm concerned, but all I've got to do is wait, and by the end of the day I'm going to know everything that's going on because they've texted each other a hundred different times, <laughs> and I don't have to say a word. So I I care about my family, but I know that I have to stay away from them for my serenity. I have to work the program because my qualifiers are not working a program. My spouse wishes I would go back to being the woman I was when I met him. I can't do that. I've grown. I know better. My youngest son is the one that has been the most challenging right now. He's lucky he lives in Arkansas and I live in Kansas City because I would have strangled him by now. So I I work my program. And my program has helped me to step outside of my comfort zone. I had never done a lot of service outside of my home group. I did start Essanon Recovery in 2008 and was kind of dividing my time between a couple different programs and finally decided the Essanon program was where I really needed the most help right now. So I committed myself to that. When I went to church, I would hear the sermon in a way that I'd never heard it before, and it's like, how did he know I needed to hear that? That was my higher power. I know my higher power has been guiding me all along, even when I gave up on him. And so, a couple years into service, I met Connie and Mary Ann and Robin at a Wichita regional retreat, and Robin and Mary Ann are like, by the way, we need a delegate for the state of Kansas. And those of us from Kansas all just sat quietly and looked down at the floor and things like that, and nobody committed that day, and went back to Kansas City. Well, I had started doing a, a yearly get-together at my house, and I sent out an email to all the people in my little email list, and one of them was Mary Ann and Robin, and, and one of them emailed back and said, well, I'm a little too far away to come to your dinner, but We still need a delegate for Kansas. So I prayed about it. I talked to my group about it, and I stepped up. So four years ago, I became the delegate for the state of Kansas, and I got on the first conference call in February. And they're talking about this World Service Conference in July in Detroit, Michigan. And I went, oh, my God, I have to go to Michigan? And then I went, wait a minute. I've never been to Michigan. I get to go to Michigan. I get to go to places that I've never been before. And I got excited. And so I did the Detroit conference. I went to Chicago the next year. Went to Colorado the next year. And when I went to Colorado, I left a week early. Went to Colorado Springs and went to see some of the sites that I hadn't seen since I was in grade school. I was getting ready to another three-year term as delegate when Robin called emails and she said she was our regional trustee and she said, well, I'm stepping into this other position and we need a new regional trustee and I heard you might be interested. And I went, wait a minute, I wasn't supposed to do that for six more years. But I went to my group and, and talked to my group and so now I am the regional trustee. I have met a lot of amazing people being a delegate and being the regional trustee. If you ever get the chance, which I am regional trustee for the southwest region. San Antonio is in the southwest region. We still need delegates for several different states. So come talk to me. I can help you. We also need two regional trustees. We need a northwest and a southeast regional trustee. There is so much to learn being a a trustee or a delegate or on any of the committees. And it took me a lot of years to develop the confidence to do it, but I've now stepped up to that service, and I'm not intimidated by it. Beginning of my program, I would have been. I would have been the one sitting in the corner going, okay, I'll vote, but don't ask me to say anything, and don't ask me to come up with any ideas. Now I'm more confident, and I'm up here in front of all of you guys telling you my story. So I am so grateful for what this program has given me. And I will continue to come to this program, not just because my qualifiers are not in recovery, but because it has made me a better person. And when I don't go to meetings, I fall back into old habits. But I can I can look and I can go, Oh wait. I don't need to do it that way. I need to go I need to do this. I need to trust my higher power. I have a God box. I put stuff in the God box and immediately something pops up and I'm going, Huh, ah, you're not wasting any time <laughs> I really believe in that higher power. I I had been working the program and going to some different retreats where we wrote a letter to God every year, six months later they would mail it back to you. And every time that letter came, it would apply to something that was going on right then, six months later. And I'd written the letter. And when I wrote the letter, I had no clue what I was writing. And after I sealed it in the envelope and gave it to the retreat coordinators, I totally forgot what I wrote. But I got to the point where I got really excited for those letters to come because one of the letters I wrote was from God to me saying, you're doing fine. You Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep going. You are worth it and things like that. And at the time I got the letter, I was starting to doubt myself again. And I got that letter and I went, oh, thank you. I needed to hear that. I needed somebody to tell me that it was worth it. It was my letter to God that got me into the Essendon program because I had written a letter going, okay, you've helped me with these other addictions, but this is the one that I'm still struggling with, and and so please help me with this. And put the letter in the envelope. That was in March. In April, I was sitting there at work. It was not a lot to do, and it's like, okay, I know that there are programs for every addiction out there. There's got to be something for this. And so I started searching and found the number. And so when I walked through the doors of that meeting, I wasn't terrified. I wasn't scared. I walked in and I wanted to throw my arms wide and say, take me, I belong here. And I've been so grateful to be part of this program. And the 12 steps do work if you work it. And... The best part about the program is whenever we do our closings, at the very end, we always say, and you're worth it. And everyone in this room is worth it. And thank you for listening.